You're listening to the Passion Church Podcast. Our mission is to help people win by living a genuine Jesus-filled life. If you are ever in Cameron, Missouri, then come and join us and be a part of the Passion Church family. You can visit our website, passionchurchmo.com, to find out more about us. For those of you who are streaming today who couldn't be with us, God bless you. So glad you are with us. We love you and glad that you are part of our body. And and come see us right here at 1119 Bryan Road. If you've never been, we'd love to have you come and be a part. Kel's mama's watching. Hey, we got good folks in Canada. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. And those of you who are watching by the WOTG network, I want to make sure I enunciate that so that everybody understands it. Sometimes I kind of slur that when I say it. God bless you. Thank you for being a part of our service right here in northern Missouri. We're so glad to have you. We live in a little town called Cameron, Missouri. But don't let little town fool you. There is a big move of God happening in this little town. In fact, some of the prophetic voices today and gifts leaned over to me. They didn't say it up here, but they leaned over to me, and they said, I saw the team. Uh, There was one crew who saw the worship team in what I call the Shekinah glory, where they're, they're just fogged out. You can't see them. Others experienced like a shift, like the suddenly the team is playing this direction to us, but they experienced a shift and saw it turn and go that way beyond the walls to reach our community. And I think that's exciting. Amen. Hebrews, the 10th chapter. I'm chewing gum. Please forgive me. If it gets in the way, I will spit it out right here on the front row. Someone might get it right in the middle of the forehead. I, you just never know. <laughs> I'm getting help. Put your finger on verse 30. I'm going to read out of the Amplified. Then I'm going to come back and hit our main verse out of the King James. Verse 30. For we know him. Now, I could stop right there. That's enough to shout all day right there, just the fact that we know him. How many are glad that we know him? We know him. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine. Vengeance is mine. Now, I have, in the Amplified, there's a lot of extra words that's not in the King James. Retribution and the meeting out of full justice rests with me. In other words, God's judge, we're not. I will repay and I will exact compensation, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge and determine and solve and settle the cause and the cases of his people. I want you to understand that nothing you're going through escapes God's attention. He knows exactly where you are and exactly what you're going through. He knows if you're up or down. He knows if you're prospering or you're not prospering at the moment. He knows if you're abased, as as Paul said, or you're abounding. You've never gotten out of the center of his vision. He knows you. He sees you. He's got you. Slap your neighbor a high five and say, God's got me. Mm. You couldn't have anyone more on your side than your heavenly father. Verse 31. 
It is fearful, formidable, and terrible thing to incur the divine penalties and be cast into the hands of a living God. That's a warning to our enemies, ladies and gentlemen. Don't mess with my children. It will cost you. Oh, come on now. Verse 32. But be ever mindful of the days gone by in which after you were first spiritually enlightened, you endured a great and painful struggle. How many here have struggled for the cause of Christ? How many found it wasn't as easy as you thought it'd be? You came to Christ and you thought everything would change. It'd be a great and wonderful life for the remainder of your days. And you found out about 10 minutes after you were born again, there's a real devil. There's a real opposition. There's real circumstances that form against you in this life. All right? Verse 33. Sometimes being yourselves a gazing stock, publicly exposed to insults and abuse, and distress, and sometimes uh, claiming fellowship and making common cause with others who were so treated. And verse 34, for you did sympathize and suffer along with those who were imprisoned, and you bore cheerfully the plundering of your belongings and the confiscation of your property in the knowledge and the consciousness that you and yourselves had a better and lasting possession. Sometimes we pay the price. Sometimes even physically we pay the price for the cause of Christ. I don't know if you've noticed the climate of our society even here in America, but it's not all of America. Most of America loves God and loves the church, and love, but there's a faction that's growing in our nation that wants to eradicate the nation from Christianity, wants to eradicate the name of Jesus Christ and his word and his absolutes and his truth. How many have been noticing on the news that there's, it's just always one thing after another. There's a constant turmoil going on. Look at this. Do not, therefore, fling away your fearless confidence. I'm going to say it one more time. Do not, when these things start happening, therefore, fling away your fearless confidence, for it carries a great and glorious compensation of reward. For you have need of steadfast patience and endurance so that you may perform and fully accomplish the will of God and thus receive and carry away and enjoy to the full what is promised. Now go with me. I'm going to read uh, verse 33 out of the King James. It's going to read a whole lot different. Partly whilst ye were made a gazing stock both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly whilst ye became companions of them that were so used. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that what will be said today, Father, will hit the target, be an encouragement to the body of Christ, be an encouragement to the believer, to those that are in this room and those that are watching online or by television, God. I pray today that this message, Father, will reach out and grab every heart and give us a new hope, a new understanding, a new ability, a new excitement, a new fervor, and a steadfast patience, Father, to keep running this race. And We give you the honor and the glory and the praise in Jesus' name and all the saints said, amen, amen. amen. Well, it's got to go. Thank you, ma'am. There's a little piece left right here.
that gum didn't hold together good. Back in, back in high school, uh, when I was searching for myself, how many was searching for yourself in high school? In your adolescent years, you try to figure out who you were and what you were, and how many wanted to make a name for yourself. Let's be honest. Be honest. Wait, look, man, these holy people were so humble. Ain't nobody here wanted to make a name for themselves. How many wanted to make a name for yourself? You wanted to be known. You want to be somebody. All right, all right. There's some. There's some honest folk. <laughs> Colleen said, "I kind of was somebody." <laughs> that gave me indigestion. That's why I got these tums. Right? No, I, I made that up. I don't know who set those there. Is that, is that a bad sign, Pastor Jerry, when people put tums on the front row? It's hard to stomach your message. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, that's silliness. I shouldn't do that. <laughs> but when I was in high school, uh, you know, like all young people, you're insecure, and you're trying to figure out who you are. And, you know, all the changes that you go through, your body goes through, all of the character development that you need, uh, you're just trying to be cool. Is that a good word? Trying to be cool, trying to, trying to fit in with the crowd. Well, in, in high school, I was one of those guys that I wasn't, I wasn't, I mean, I'm not, I wasn't inept, but I was, I wasn't overly athletic, and I certainly wasn't scholarly, so I was so, somewhere in between. I didn't run with the people who, who did drugs and, and did all that stuff and partied all the time. And I didn't run with the up-and-outers, and I didn't run with the down-and-outers, and I never could quite find myself. And finally one day, uh, there was uh, someone encouraged me to try or to take some of the, the uh, theater classes, the acting classes. And so I did, and pretty soon they were doing plays, and so I started trying out for the plays and found that I had a little bit of an ability to be before people, and so I started enjoying that and having a good time with that, and I joined the club, and I am officially a thespian. Now, be careful. That has no sexual connotation whatsoever. That, that is simply... Uh, a terminology in a club that, that talks about theater. And uh, so I joined the thespian club, and I took makeup classes, and everything that would help bolster my skill in acting, uh, I started making that my focus. And uh, I enjoyed it, and I enjoyed being on the stage, and I enjoyed the fun of it, and I loved it when I could hear the crowd laugh. And I, I loved it when I could see a tear in someone's eye. And we did the musicals, and we did all that stuff, you know, and it was fun. And Then there came a day when ministry doors opened to me, and I was already a Christian. But when the ministry doors opened to me and I began to travel and sing, I realized this is my calling, not that. And... That's not to put anybody down that that is their calling. It's just that I realized that was not my calling. But I'm thankful for the experience in my life. It was a lot of fun, and I enjoyed it. And there was nothing like finally getting to the last night of, of your performances, the very last night, and you'd have the curtain call, and you see the crowd stand to their feet, and they cheer, and they're shouting and having a good time. And you get to make your appearance on the stage with everybody else. And, and it was a lot of fun. But um, 
<clears throat> Today, I want to share something with you that is kind of framed in that thought, in that theater of thought, if I could. Has anyone here ever shared your faith or a faith statement that brought persecution to you? Raise your hand if, it was, if that's you. Oh, yeah, all over the house. Now, how many of you, that, how many of you tried to live for the Lord as uh, an adolescent or as a teenager? Would you raise your hand? How many found that that's where most of your persecution came? Yes, some? Okay. How many of you got persecution after you were an adult? How many of you in both arenas? Okay. Okay. Anytime you share your faith with someone, it, it, it puts a challenge out about your life. It's like the devil understands that now he can draw a target on you because you've come out and you've made a stand, and he wants to find out really who you are. Oftentimes, uh, like in my life, when that happened, uh, I came out in, I was about 13 in, in uh, junior high school, and I, that would have been about eighth grade, and I made a real commitment at that time because I began to feel the call to preach the gospel, and I began to make a commitment, and, and I shared it with some friends, and suddenly I became the butt of everyone's joke. Anyone here relate to that? Every joke that could be told was told, and many of them were vulgar. It's just the way it was. And oftentimes, the people who a few days ago were your friends suddenly now don't treat you like a friend anymore. And I remember being shoved into lockers and pushed around and tripped and had my Bible knocked out of my hands and had people kick my Bible down the hallway. And I remember in the lunchroom, uh, people coming up and grabbing my tray while I'm holding it and smashing it so that it would land all over me and all over the floor and all over everything. And, and I remember uh, one gentleman, this only happened once, but it only takes once for you to remember it. And I certainly relate with the Lord Jesus Christ. I had one young man who, who spit on me, spit right in my face. And, and that can really have an impact on you. Uh, I don't care what stage of life you're in. You're a little more controlled and a little more self-controlled as an adult, but as a 13-year-old, that is a real challenge. And, of course, it's a kid that was bigger than me, outclassed me, could take me. Uh, I mean, could have fought back, but it would have probably done not much good. And so I took it. I just took it, which is what I was supposed to do. I just took it. But it caused a scarring on the inside. I just got to be honest with you. It caused a scar. It caused a pain. You know, I, I'm, I'm almost 30 years old, and I remember that. <laughs> 30 times 2, I know. But I remember, and uh, I became the butt of everyone's jokes. And they did everything they could to mock and malign me and to make fun of the dream that I had of preaching the gospel. And I, I, I've been in that place where it caused me to question my call. Have you ever questioned your call? Have you ever questioned, am I doing the right thing? Especially when you're young and impressionable. It's, it's really hard because there's so many directions life can pull you, and you, you haven't developed in maturity, and you haven't developed in character enough to know what to do with that moment. 
But I remember that moment, and, and, and I, I hate to admit this, but it caused me to backslide for a little bit. It wasn't the reason I backslid. I chose to backslide, but it was because of that. And when I say backslide, I just mean I, I, I kind of walked. I didn't leave my faith, but I just didn't make it out front anymore. I just kind of became an undercover Christian. Oh, come on. Come on. I'm real. I don't know if you can handle real or not, but I became an undercover Christian. I, I, I wasn't wearing my faith to the outside so much, and uh, I cowered a little bit, and I didn't turn away the dirty jokes. You know, I tried to fit in with everybody. And uh, <clears throat> But if you've ever been in this position, then you have to understand that in order for you to win, you have to keep moving. You have to keep going. You can't slow down. You can't stop. And you can't back down because things don't go your way. And you can't back down because somebody spoils your goods. And there's no room for giving up. Now, God's got great mercy and tenderness for us. He's long-suffering, and he works with us through those stages of our walk. But it took me a while to get my feet back on the ground after that. That happened at 13. I was 16 when I really decided, I don't care what you think. I'm going to serve him. I'm going to give him my all. The writer of Hebrews is addressing Jewish believers who have been walking by faith for years. He's reminding them, or she is reminding them, of how people respond to them when they started their faith walk in Christ. He says, you were made a gazing stock both by reproaches and afflictions. Now, here we go. Turn to your neighbor. Say, Frida, cinch down your seatbelt. Here we go. This word gazing stock is the Greek word theatron. Theatron is where we get the word theater. It means to observe, to study, to scrutinize, or to bring upon the stage for all to see. This is, the, this is the imagery that the writer of Hebrews, whether it was Paul or Priscilla or whoever wrote the book of Hebrews, is trying to get us to see. He's trying for us to understand, or she's trying to get us to understand, by word picture what it is that happens to us in life. Your life is like a play that is displayed for the world to see. If you come to Christ, he's so proud of you, he puts you center stage. And the world watches Act 1, Act 2, there are no intermissions. Act three and act four. If those are the four stages of life, the world's invited in to watch, to look at, to scrutinize, to see if you're doing a good job. So in context, the audience isn't watching the play for how good it is. But they're watching to find out if they can find something wrong. 
if they can find something they can criticize to catch a mistake by the actor. It's like having the critic come and sit in your theater production and then write a story, an article about your production and what they thought of it. And when a critic comes in, they're not coming in to be wowed. They're coming in to find out what's wrong with this play so that we can put it in the paper, so we can make it sensational. Everyone with me so far? So whether we like it or not, every time that we take a step of faith or a new stand on the Word of God, it's, it always puts us center stage. Anytime God puts something in your heart and you stand up to it and you decide, I'm going to go all the way with God, it puts you center stage. When Mylon decided to serve the Lord, I bet Mylon was tested. Were you not? <laughs> and ha- did that test happen just once? How many tests have you had? <laughs> to infinity and beyond. <laughs> now, every time that we, we, we are going to do something for God, we have to understand that we're put in center stage. Now, we may not be known by thousands, but we are known by family and friends, and often they have conversations about our performance. Sometimes around the dinner table, you are the subject or the topic that is spoken of in their realm. And if and family doesn't intend to be ugly most generally, but they're always looking for the flaw because they know you. They know all your little idiosyncrasies. They know your mistakes. Your friends, they know you. They know they've seen you at your best. They've seen you at your worst. And so they're always watching you to see where your flaws are in your walk with God. Now, this verse could be read this way. You were made a theater. You become a spectacle of entertainment. On account of your faith, you became the best show in town. Now, we're, it's up to us how the world sees us. It's up to us how we do and how our performance in Act 1 and two, and three, and four. This is why the apostle tells us to work out our own salvation. It doesn't mean make up your own rules. It means to take the word of God and make your life conform, make your mind transform to the imagery that God sees you as, as you act out your life for all your friends, family, and associates to see. Who could say amen to that? So, Having said that, there's two other words in this verse that make, a lot, that make this important. The first word is reproaches. And it is a Greek word this long that is one idemasasugasasasa. I don't think that's quite it, but I can't pronounce it, so I'm not even going to try. It means to hurl incense. In, incense? Well, that would be good. Ah, oh, that smells good. That was a mistake. It means to hurl 
insults. <laughs> Incense. I just felt like we went back to Woodstock for just a moment. <laughs> it means to hurl insults from other people. In other words, while you're on the stage, someone's in the crowd heckling you. They're, they're out there, they're, they're, they're trying to combat you verbally while you're on the stage because if they can make enough heckle and get your mind off of the task at hand, you will break character and ruin the visage of that moment for the rest of the audience. Oh, this is gospel, I'm telling you right now. Life is filled with hecklers if you're going to live for Christ. And you've been thrust center stage, and everyone's watching. Everyone's watching your life if you identify with Jesus Christ. And so they're sitting in the sidelines looking for some insult that they can hurl your direction, something that might pull you off kelter. How many understand that Jesus was mocked trying to make this world better? He was mocked and maligned and made fun of. And, and it should have been the crowd who was cheering him on was the crowd who was heckling him the most. The common people who were watching the acts of his life and ministry played out before them were in love with Christ. But it was those who should have had his back, who should have upgirded him and lifted him up, who were more into their part and wanted the world to notice them than they did Jesus, who fought him on every hand and heckled him and tried time and time and time again to pose some kind of a question that would trip him up to make him break character and fail his mission. Mm. They brought to him subjects of marriage and subjects of taxes and subjects and subjects and subjects. They were always challenging Jesus, but what I love about it is he never once broke character and he defeated him every time by staying true to the mission that God had placed him on. And when he'd open his mouth, it would literally disarm them. So even those at his home, in his hometown, had trouble loving Jesus in the middle of his, the act of his life. It's the same for us. The people we know and love come to our theater to heckle our faith. Come on. How many of you, when you got born again, your friends all said, oh, this will last six months. You'll be back. How many heard that? You'll be back. But if you had a real, true, genuine relationship with Jesus Christ, you might slip, you might make a mistake, you might blow it, you might have moments, you might, you might backslide for a moment. But if your heart truly is in him, you're going to run back. You're going to stay in him. You're going to keep coming after him. You're going to allow him to be the Lord of your life. You're not going to let some heckler on the sideline pull you out of the game. After a while, you just learn to go, boo-boo. Mm. Besides the verbal abuse, the second word that we need to pay attention to there is affliction. I can actually say this one, thalipsis. 
thalipsis. It means a tight squeeze or intense pressure. He uses the devil. He uses everything around you to shut you down to keep you out of the plan of God. He makes life squeeze in on you. If the heckling doesn't do it, he'll allow a circumstance that you find yourself in to become so magnified that it feels like it's squeezing the very life out of you. Satan doesn't personally attack you. Oh, this might mess you up. Because so many of us are so busy fighting the devil, we don't realize the devil ain't the problem. The devil ain't the problem. He's a defeated foe. The problem is my mind. The problem is what gets in between my ears. The problem is the battle that I'm fighting because of the suggestions of the devil or the circumstances that I'm in that just seem so unfair. I mean, really, Lord, sell my home and have no place to go. may bother me a bit, but Pastor Colleen is like, I don't like this. I'm sorry, I uncovered you. I don't like this. You, she's kind of got that attitude. You better get to doing something now, Lord. <laughs> you would too. Probably most of the ladies in here would because ladies like, like the security of it all. <laughs> but Satan doesn't personally attack you, but 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says that he's the God of this world. I say God, little g, of this world. It means the structure of society. He uses the world to do battle with us. We have entered into what I have uh, uh, claimed and, and will claim and will continue to claim is the very leading edges of something that the book of Revelation calls the time of sorrow. It's before the great tribulation. There's a period when the church is tested. There's a period where we're put on the stage and the world has been given through God little g the power to heckle us to see if the God with the little g can knock the God of the big g out of your life. And how does he get the God with the big g out of your life? By convincing you to give up, break character, and walk away. Is this too hard? We're almost done. That ought to make you happy right there. So he uses the world to do battle with us, people and circumstances and events and difficult dilemmas to obstruct us from reaching our goals. Regardless, his weapons, our faith can trump and override anything he has organized if we can recognize his tactics. There's nothing he's designed against you that you don't have the power to defeat because you have God, big G. You have Jesus Christ, the Messiah. You have the Holy Spirit, the, the Ruach HaKadosh, living on the inside of you, empowering you, that the Christ in you can do the impossible in this life. The Christ in you, your partner, 
the paraclete, the one called alongside, has given you the ability to stand on the stage in front of the world and not lose your faith and not break character, but to stay in the script until it's finished. Because if you can stay with the word of God, the script of God, when you come to the final act and you get to the curtain call, ladies and gentlemen, you are going to hear a round of applause that you want to hear. Mm. So, whose voice is really ridiculing you? He may be the God of this world, but he's a defeated foe. And your weapons of faith that you have cause you to operate in Jesus' victory. You see, Jesus won this battle. Jesus crushed this dog. He squashed him like stepping on a grape. When he went to hell, he grabbed him by the nape of the neck. I should say in death. He grabbed him by the nape of the neck. I don't think Jesus went to hell. He grabbed him by the nape of the neck and he shook out of him the keys of death, hell, and the grave. He was no challenge. He was no challenge to Jesus. In the wilderness, he tried his best. In the wilderness, he defeated him by quoting the word. But we forget the word in our battle. We forget to quote back to him what we know in our spirit. We allow him to bend our thinking by putting a little pressure on us and by letting the world come in on us and, and by the world standing back and telling us how wrong we are and how ugly we are and how unloving we are if we stand to the biblical standard. But I'm here to tell you they're just hecklers trying to knock you off of the stage of the calling of your life and God's got this and if you'll stay with him we're going to emerge victorious yeah. in him. Yeah. Amen. Amen. So and when I say I don't believe Jesus went to hell, here's what I mean. I believe that he went to the side of the afterlife called um, paradise. He went to the bosom of Abraham and set the captives free. And he just grabbed the devil out of the air and whooped up on him. He didn't have to go on his territory to whip him. He just whipped him the way it was. If you have a different belief than that, that's okay. Let me finish. Somebody said, please, I could hear that in the spirit. You have taken center stage and Satan hates it. <laughs> he wants you to fail. And if it all seems to come undone in your world, if it feels like the whole world is heckling you, I've got a remedy. I've got a remedy. I got a remedy. Ignore it. Ignore it. Now get this picture in your mind. Mm. So what's the name of the company you work for? My brain's not working. FedEx. 
When FedEx comes to my door and knocks, they have a package for me. I can receive that package or I can reject that package because I have to sign for that package. So when the devil's standing on your doorstep and he wants to deliver his mess to you, don't sign for it. Tell him, take that on back where you got it. I don't need your mess. Take that lying tongue of yours and put it back where it belongs because it don't belong here. I'm a child of the Most High God. I have this. I'm headed for the finish line, and I'm going to make the final curtain call. Hmm. Keep doing what God's called you to do because when all the acts of your life are through, when you stand at curtain call, like an actor who didn't break character, you didn't get intimidated, you didn't get humiliated, but you finished the play. And at the end, when all is said and done, at the end, you will hear the applause of the only audience that matters. If all of the audience heckles you in your life, there's one round of applause you're waiting to hear. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You're waiting to hear the clap of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You're waiting to hear, you're waiting to hear the hand clap of the one you have served all this time. Can you say amen to that? Amen, amen to that. Father, we thank you. I praise you, Father, for your word today. Simple, but Father, it's powerful. It's something we need to understand that the world is trying to unravel us. The world is trying to get us caught up in all of the maddening stuff going on around us. That as soon as one fire ends, another one begins. Father, the prophets have been saying that there's even greater time of testing coming for the church in the next few days, even this year. Father, we got to know whom we serve and why. And we've got to have it determined in our heart as the church of Jesus Christ, whom we're going to listen to, whom we're going to allow to speak into our ear and who we are going to ignore. The world wants to heckle us. The world wants to stop us. The world wants us to give up. The world wants us to blend in. The world wants us to say that sin is okay. God loves us all. But Father, your word is very clear that you separate, you separate the sinner from the saint. And we're only saints through the grace and the blood and the mercy and the victory of Christ Jesus. The only thing we can bring, Father, to you is the life you gave 
through Jesus Christ. So, Father, we ask you now. Search me, O oh God. Know my heart. Understand me. Know who I am. Teach me, Father, how to stand strong in a time of confusion. Teach me how to be your man, your woman, your young person in God when it's not popular and not my friends don't like it and family don't understand it and associates try to stop it. Help me to stand when everything my eye gaze, gaze upon are trying to pull me away from you. Help me to stand when my ears hear nothing but mocking and cursing and the belittling of your name and your statutes and your truth. Help me, Father, to keep my mouth pure, speaking your word and your oracle. God, I thank you. I praise you. I worship you. I magnify you. Right here, right now, Father. I surrender it all. I want to be your man. I want to be your woman. I want to be your teenager. I want to be your child. I want my life to count. I want my life to make sense. I want my life to be played out so that others can find you. For even hecklers are looking for you. Even hecklers oftentimes could change their direction if they could just see that we can't be pulled off character. We can't be broken. We can't be manipulated. We can't be discouraged. And we can't be defeated. I want to be that man of God. That the world measures as success. That the world understands no matter what they throw, it won't stop me. That the hecklers of this life will understand that the God with the little g is but a liar. I want to be, I want to be your man. I want to be your man. Real quickly, if you're here today and you've never asked the Lord Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life, so you're really not exactly sure what I'm talking about. But something in you says what he's saying has got truth in it, and it's compelling, and it's something that I feel that I want or I need. If that's you, while there's no one else looking around, would you just signify by raising your hand?
And I will take time to pray with you and agree with you. If you're watching by streaming today, this could be your day. This could be the day that it all changes, it all turns around, that you become everything God desires you to be, that you can live a life of, of great success, not, not worldly success, heavenly success. Just like Jesus slapped the fire out of the devil and stole his victory. He can slap that God of little g out of your life so that you can forevermore know him. You can forevermore live in victory. You can forevermore be in a position that you don't again break character. You don't blow it. You don't lose your way. All you have to do is ask him to become the Lord of your life. It's that easy. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I understand that I'm lost. I'm undone. I'm sinful. But I don't want to be. I want to lay all that down, and I want to receive you as my Lord, as the Savior of my life. I want you to be my God, to sit upon the throne of my heart, and may make me victorious, that I may, in my life, to your words, well done. Thou good and faithful servant, I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. We would love to connect with you on Facebook or Instagram at Passion Church Mo. Until next time, God bless.